everyone, and welcome to episode 172 of the MTG Goldfish Podcast. It's Seth, probably better known as Saffron Olive, and I'm joined from all the way across the ocean this week by Richard. How's it going today, Richard? Hey, Seth, what's going on? Uh, good. So I think we're recording, we're recording in a weird time. Is it in the middle of the night where you are over in Europe? Uh, no, it's just close to midnight, so okay. this is like... <laughs> The sane hour for recording content. Uh, the perfect podcast hour. Midnight midnight in Europe. So anyway, we have a, a ton of stuff to talk about this week. Last week, we were complaining about no big standard tournaments. So we finally just had our first standard GP uh, in GP Birmingham. And then we also have some product announcements. Commander Anthologies 2. We got a big update to the Brawl format. And we want to talk a little bit about GPs from a more meta perspective and about the cost of GPs, which is a conversation that's been going on in the community recently. So let's jump right into it, starting with the fun stuff. So we finally got a big standard tournament. What is your takeaway, Richard, from this event? Did you get to keep up on any of it or look over the deck list or anything? Yeah, take a look at the deck list. Uh, I hope you like red, black aggro, Seth, because <laughs> that's what's going on. Just, I, I don't know what the percentage here is. Like, 50% maybe is red, black aggro. And normally you see this when a new format comes around. Okay, everyone, week one, they play aggro because, you know, it's the, it's the easiest thing to do. When, when, when you don't know what's going on, you be proactive and you, you, you kill people really fast. Uh, except, We've been playing standard for a while now at Magic Online. This isn't week one. Uh, it looks like people have determined that red black aggro is the thing to be doing. And, uh, you don't see too many control strategies. You know, there's, there's random control strategies in here. Uh, you know, some constrictor list trying to make it through. But at the end of the day, aggro is everywhere. Uh, aggro, mid rangey aggro, I might add. Uh, Chandra Torture Defiance is present. Karn is present. Uh, you have, you know, the beautiful Heart of Kiran still terrorizing standard. Uh, Goblin Chain Roller from Dominaria is in the list. So, I don't know what to make of this. Is, is this what standard will look like going forward, Seth? It seems like the consensus is red, black aggro is the deck to beat here. Like, so many people are playing it. Like, a ridiculous share of people are playing it. Yeah, I mean... It's hard to say. We've been in a weird spot where the format is maybe a little bit underdeveloped because of the fact that we just haven't had big paper tournaments until this point, so it's mostly been Magic Online. Although, it's worth saying, Red Black Aggro is one of the big decks on Magic Online, and it is kind of the mono red deck. It's a little bit vehicle-y. You have Karns and Chandra, so you can play the Heart of Kirins and maybe an Aether Sphere Harvester. But saying Red Black Aggro, it's slightly deceptive, because I think the black is literally some number of unlicensed disintegrations and maybe, like, Duress in the sideboard or a Doomfall in the sideboard board or something, but it's pretty much mono-red aggro with some vehicles, so I think this is the best deck in standard. I don't think it's a big leap to say that, because in all honesty, mono-red has been one of the best decks, if not the best deck in standard, 
all the way back till last summer. It's even been targeted with bannings with Ramanop Ruins and so forth. So the deck is definitely legitimate. Is it as good as it looked this weekend where by my count, it was 15, I believe, of the top 32 slots and six of the top eight slots. I don't know if I'd go that far. I don't think the metagame is literally 50% red-black aggro. And hopefully now that the deck is going to have a huge target on its head, maybe people will be able to find a way to at least compete with it. But I think the deck is pretty legit and it probably is the best deck in standard. And really, it it goes back to everything goes back to Kaladesh. Kaladesh is just still dominating the for, uh, the format. Bombat Curry on License Disintegration, Heart of Kirin, Scrap Heap Scrounder, Chandra. Uh, the set is just, that set was so busted and it's still busted, but we're getting close to rotation. So uh, I don't know. Like, do you have hope for this, Richard? Or do you think for this, is this going to be Red Summer or Red Black Summer? Is we just, this is the deck for the next, uh, whatever, four months up to rotation. So I don't think this will be the only deck, but I think this deck will be around. I I think it's actually closer to Mardu Vehicles than it is to, say, Hazaret Red. Uh, these lists don't even play Hazaret. Um, but you're right in that it's basically mono red with some black for uh, unless it's disintegration. I guess you could ribbon someone if you get settled wreckage or something, but <laughs> it's it's like a mid-rangey vehicle red deck. And the cards that are playing, uh, you know, the cards in the deck are legit cards we've seen for quite a while. Boma Courier, Walking Ballista, Chandra's, uh, you know, all these cards have been around. And then the new the new kids, the quote-unquote new kids on the block, Rekindling Phoenix, Goblin Chain Roller, these are all good cards. So I don't know that, you know, you can just put a card in your deck and this, you know, it will defeat uh, black red aggro slash vehicles it's gonna be one of those things where yeah if you're prepared you can handle it but a lot of people will still play it kind of like what marty vehicles did you can prepare for it but it's still a pretty decent deck so in second place it was red black aggro that took down the tournament in second place we actually had blue white control did you happen to see this list richard it's kind of funny i saw it i didn't get to watch much of the tournament because it's mother's day and i had to do mother's day stuff but i got to see some of it and the one match i watched with this deck uh the pilot leo lanian something like that i'm sorry i'm sure i butchered that name but uh <laughs> there's not really a win condition the win condition of the deck there is one gideon but the win condition of the deck is basically controlling the game and then using Teferi Hero of Dominaria's negative three to keep putting Teferi back in your deck so your opponent mills out before you do. <laughs> How did he get second place? How did he finish his matches? Yeah, the one <laughs> this match- is worse. This is worse than like Elixir of Immortality <laughs> finisher. This is worse than Nefalia Drown Yard. This is this is like heartbreaking <laughs> to sit there and watch him beat you like this. The one match I did see, he drew. He had Teferi Emblem. He exiled all of his opponent's permanence and uh, just ran out of time putting the Teferi back in his deck. And his phone's like, all right, I'll take the draw. I'm not, I know I can't win, but there's no reason for me to scoop. Especially after you just made me play through this. Exiled all my stuff, countered all my stuff. I'm not going to concede to you, even though there's no way I can actually win this game. But I thought that was a unique take. Like, we usually 
see Torrential Gear Hulks or something like that. In the defense of the deck, it does have History of Manalia in the sideboard, another Gideon in the sideboard, so you can bring in more finishers if you feel like you need to, but it was pretty interesting to see. It reminded me almost of, like, Drownyard Control or something, where you are winning in the super, super late game, super, super slowly, and probably relying a lot of times uh, on your opponent scooping it up, because it's going to take you a long time to win by putting Teferi back in your deck. <laughs> I I just want to see uh, Teferi get surgical. What, yeah. <laughs> what, what is the standard surgical or uh, you know, a sorcerer's spyglass or something? You're like, yeah. oh, no. <laughs> Uh, otherwise, looking over the event, like, apart from a whole bunch of red-black aggro, a little bit of mono-red aggro, the Hazret builds of the deck, does anything jump out at you, Richard? I'm not seeing anything where I'm like, wow, that's so spicy. There's, like, a mono-green stompy list, I guess that's kind of cool. White-black vehicles was kind of one of the big decks the last couple weekends at the SCG team events for the standard portion of it. Uh, but not anything that just jumps out as super spicy and unique and new that I'm seeing yet. Yeah, it reminds me of the arena metagame. Basically, red-based aggro, some control decks fighting the good fight, and then some random other archetypes trying to show up in the list. They're converging, Seth. They're converging the two meta games. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we're recording this on the 13th. So that would mean about three weeks from now is the next Pro Tour, Pro Tour Dominaria. What is your feeling about that event? Looking at these GP results, the first big results that we got, looking ahead to the Pro Tour, is this one of the, we know it's going to be team or energy, it's going to suck, or, or do you think there's a chance that the metagame at the Pro Tour is going to look a lot different than what this tournament looks like? I think it'll look different. Um, so, A, Watsi will make it look different. <laughs> you know, even, even if red-black aggro is 50% of the metagame, they'll show different decks on the first day. Uh, and that was gonna start with Team Energy. It, or was it Marty Vehicles? Which Pro Tour was it where they basically showed no coverage of it the entire first day, and then when the day two numbers show, showed up, they're like, oh yeah, 50% of the metagame is this deck. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it could be like that, and I don't know that that's bad. There's always gonna be a best deck. I, I don't know that you'll ever have the perfect rock, paper, scissors, but the question is, can you still innovate? Like, can people, make a bigger red-black aggro list or like a smaller red-black aggro list or, or something like that. I think there's a lot of time between now and the Pro Tour for, for stuff to shake up. Uh, you know, but the question is, will we keep seeing Karn, Chandra, and Teferi? I think that, that, that is my big question. Like, are those the linchpins of the new standard? Uh, having these mythic planeswalkers kind of beat every deck, or will you actually see a deck where you don't actually need these cards? Karn is a bit problematic because he's colorless and goes in every single deck. So I, I wonder if uh, if the decks don't change, will the card you know will the build around me cards change for standard as we progress through the metagame? So I think this obviously you look at these tur tournament results and it looks a little bit scary. You're like, oh, that is a lot of red black aggro. But my experience and feelings about standard are still really positive at this point. So even though there's so much of one deck and it's an aggro deck and all that stuff, I still feel like Dominaria standard is super sweet and there's tons of room to innovate. So I'm not to the point where I'm ready to freak out about it. That said... I do think that Karn and Teferi are pretty much the linchpins of standard. It's, Teferi might be the better of the two cards. The question is going to be, can 
blue white control or esper control compete with these aggro decks i don't know if that's a sure thing obviously some people can Uh, we had a second place finish a couple more trickled into the top 32 but i think that karn for sure just because it goes in so many decks is going to be a defining card of standard probably for as long as it's in standard i think i realized today i'm I think that Karn, new Karn, Karn Cyanaverza, is actually more powerful than Karn Liberated. That's my that's my hot take for the day. What do you think, Richard? Is new Karn actually better than modern staple old Karn? I mean, if I could just show and tell something in a play, I would choose big Karn. <laughs> but I think you're right. The small card is played in more decks. It's easier to cast. And apparently very strong when you have a lot of vehicles. Not only is he a card advantage engine, but he actually just makes dudes that are like heftily sized because you have so many vehicles sitting around i was disappointed in card initially and that was a mistake apparently the new card is way more playable and way better than i gave it credit for when we were doing spoiler season so the other thing i think to keep an eye on is i think heart of kirin is definitely the breakout card of this tournament or it's been around forever but it is back mardu vehicles kind of died down and heart of kirin is everywhere so if you're playing standard definitely keep that in mind i know with seal away coming out a lot of decks were heading towards that as their primary early game removal spell heart of kirin part of the reason maybe why it's so good right now is because not only does it work well with karn and all that stuff but but it dodges seal away because of vigilance, so it never ends up being tapped. So it might be time, if you're brewing in standard, to start thinking about fatal pushes, abrades, uh, things like that again, and really being ready to fight the Heart of Kirin battle, because uh, that seems like a really big battle to be fighting. Heart of Kirin, while Karn is probably more powerful, Teferi is more powerful, Heart of Kirin is the easiest way to just lose on like turn 3 or turn 4, where your opponent plays it on turn 2, you don't have an answer you get beat down for a few turns and essentially just lose the game immediately so be prepared to pass the heart of kieran test if you're building sander decks or at least have a plan like play stompy or something with some artifact destruction or a really fast clock of your own i got i got a good prediction for you we're gonna go full circle seth we're gonna start getting grixis vehicles because we'll splash blue for the counter spells to you know fight back against the, the control decks just like mardu vehicles became four color vehicles I've seen this all unfold before. I can see the future. So. <laughs> we're, we're repeating this cycle from like a year ago. You're probably... You just replaced Gideon with Karn and you know you don't need white anymore. So you might as well just streamline it and put in world chainers. Yeah, we, we've seen this all before. Uh, it, it definitely could happen. We might just be repeating the cycle. Then they'll, they'll emergency ban Heart of Kiran and then print <laughs> us another two-mana vehicle for some reason. That's, <laughs> that's just as good. Oh, man. Well, I think... I think Wizards has learned their lesson. The last couple of sets worth of vehicles have not been anywhere near Heart of Kieran, let alone Smuggler's Copter. Remember Heart of Kieran was like the worst Smuggler's Copter. Could you imagine if Copter was still running around, just how insane these decks would be? Oh my goodness. Yeah, unfortunately they did learn their lesson because the weather light is <laughs> questionable in playability. Ah. <laughs> I think that's about the right power level, honestly. Like, I almost feel like vehicles, very similar to equipment, like Wizards went too far with the first set, just like back in Mirrodin where we had Skull Clamps and uh, Loxodon Warhammers and Uncommon and just Caranial Plating, just ridiculous equipments. And then Wizards, after, I guess, they printed uh, Umazawa's Jitte in Kamigawa, the next block, but then they really peeled back the power level for a long time until all of a sudden we had New Phyrexia 
uh, in the return of Mirrodin. We had batter skulls and the swords, and then we're still living with that. Wizards, I don't think, has pl- printed a single good equipment since the return of Mirrodin block. So I feel like we're kind of at that stage with vehicles. So I expect that for the next at least few years, Wizards is probably going to just be a little extra conservative whenever they print a vehicle to make sure because the Kaladesh ones were just so more pushed and so much better than I think they expected them to be. They they should have made Umazawa's helicopter. That that's what should have been the dominant area. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So Richard, are you still excited for the standard format? Last uh, standard question: Are how are you feeling about it? I told you I'm feeling still pretty positive despite these results. How are you feeling about Dominaria standard right now? I gotta be honest with you, Seth. I I have no idea because <laughs> I play Arena standard. I don't know how this doesn't affect me. <laughs> Until they put Kaladesh block onto Arena, I don't know, Seth. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I guess the rumor has it that it's going to be coming pretty soon. I think that Kaladesh is supposed to be coming before the core set, at least, which would put it like a month, six weeks, something like that. I don't think that's officially confirmed, but that's the rumors that people are piecing together. So hopefully yes, then I can join standard. everyone in worrying about red-black aggro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, So let's transform and move on from standard in specific, from kind of a micro perspective in the decks and cards, to a little bit more meta perspective. So we had a big GP. GPs are getting more expensive. What do you think about GP pricing? (laughs) Yeah, I was signing up for Grand Prix Vegas, and then I pulled up my wallet, and I'm like, do I really want to do this? It's uh, Grand Prix are like $80 now. You show up. And most likely, if you're like me, you're just going to, like, 1-3 drop. <laughs> like, very few people uh, have the expectation of going to day two. That would be, I guess, half the people or whatever. And then to top eight to make money, uh, it's it's just so hard, right? Or, you know, to get into the money, you know, you get money before top eight. But to make anything respectable is so hard. And we're really there just to play for fun. So do I want to drop $80 to play for fun? Or I can just play Magic Online or Arena or go to FNM for five bucks. And that's a hard decision. I remember before you paid $40 for standard Grand Prix, you got a play mat, you got a promo, you got a good weekend of fun in. But now at $80, it's getting a little bit ridiculous. And I personally don't know if it's worth it to play in Grand Prix Vegas. Uh, I'll be there uh, doing something, but I don't know if I'll be actually <laughs> playing in the main event. And there was a big Reddit post this week about the same thing. A lot of people are feeling the same way. You know, the prices just keep going up. And, you know, you already have to buy a standard deck. Uh, you, all, you already have to buy a legacy deck or a modern deck or whatever, your commander decks. You have all these magic related expenses. And then now you got to pay for a Grand Prix on top of a hotel, on top of a flight. Uh, it's just getting really expensive. And it's starting to keep people away. I, I mean... If the Grand Prix was cheaper, I'd play in it, but given its price, I have to think about it, and I don't know where my decision will end up. Yeah, it's definitely a massive chunk of money, and they've kind of cut back on what you get for that money. I don't think... It used to be that a playmat was just kind of a given. When you sign up for the GP, you get the playmat. Now you don't necessarily get the GP or the GP playmat if you sign up for the lowest price. I think you have to pay more to get a playmat or register early or some additional thing to get the playmat. So that's definitely a big chunk of money. I can kind of see both sides of it. I think... If you're a pro player and you're spending $400 on a flight, some amount of money on a hotel room, the actual entry fee into the tournament is probably 
if it's $40 or $80, I don't think that changes the EV calculation significantly. If you're putting out all that money for travel and everything, but it is for someone like you or me, who's planning on going to GP Vegas and you have the option between paying $80 to play a random GP or just like play random magic at the GP or play side events that are cheaper, whatever you want to do. It is definitely something that's worth considering, especially since people, a lot of people aren't going to make it. We see the people that do well on camera for watching the Twitch stream, but you don't see all the people that pay 80 bucks, lose their first three rounds and just say, all right, I'm done with this anyway. That's not a great, you know, return on your investment or even a great amount of entertainment and time and fun that you're getting for that $80. If you're one of the people that's going 03 drop or 24 drop or something like that and out in day one. So I don't know. Do you think one of the things that Reddit that brought up is they kind of, at least some people kind of pointed the finger at channel fireball and said, Oh, this is because they have a monopoly. They can charge whatever they want. I do. You, what do you think of that argument? Do you buy the argument that this is channel fireball kind of taking advantage of their position as an exclusive provider of grand prix or was this just the way GPs were heading anyway, even before that happened? I don't think the monopoly aspect of it affects it because realistically, for it to not be Monopoly, you would need two different people to host the Grand Prix in your city. Like, for example, if Channel Fireball only did West Coast and Star City Games only did East Coast, it doesn't matter if SEG charges half the price. Like, they're never going to host it in your city if you're on the West Coast. So I don't really buy that argument. I, I just don't know. Like, pros will keep paying because, like you said, it doesn't matter. And as long as people keep paying, they'll keep increasing the price. Right? Remember at first they, they increased it slightly, people kept paying, they increased it some more, people kept paying, people, in, you know, they, they increased it some more, you get the largest Grand Prix ever, like what incentive do they have not to increase the prices if we keep showing up? So in that sense, it's just quote unquote good business for them. But, you know, I, I don't think it's monopoly, I think it's just people keep coming to these, whether it's company A, B, or C, if you show up, they'll just keep charging that much. Uh, and Star City Games, I guess, is the alternative. I don't know how much their events cost, but it doesn't even matter to me because they don't come to my city. So it's, it's I don't know, it's just a tough spot. Yeah, I think that uh, Star City events have also increased in price. I don't know if they're as much as the GPs, but they have also been going up in price. So do you think this is... They've kind of tried to turn GPs into mini conventions almost a lot of the times with artists and uh, personalities and all this non-tournament stuff. It's not like you just go there and there's however many hundred of people sitting in rows playing Magic. There's a lot of other stuff going on. Do you think that's part of the cost? Like, is is that subsidizing this convention atmosphere? And if they're going to make GPs into a convention... Should we change the pricing model and the cost model where instead of the people who actually play in the tournament paying $80, maybe those people pay $40, but the people like you and me who are going to GP Vegas that might not actually play in the tournament and can just go there and do everything else for free, maybe we should have to pay $5, $10, some smaller amount of money just to get in the door and meet the artists and do all the convention-y stuff that goes along with the GP. Yeah, that's pretty much how every other convention works. Like, you don't show up to PAX expecting to pay nothing and being subsidized by the Smash players playing their tournaments. <laughs> so if I can go to a Grand Prix and basically use their space and hang out and not pay any money, that's 
you know, that that's that's not really sound. So yeah, I think five bucks is not a lot of money. I would pay five bucks for access to a Grand Prix to get my cards signed by artists, to see cosplayers, uh, you know, to hang out with my friends and have a good time. That seems perfectly reasonable. So if a large percentage of players are coming and not actually playing in the Grand Prix, charging five bucks or something, I think would keep the prices down, probably even generate more revenue for them. And that allows them in turn to expand the convention, you know, hire more cosplayers or whatever, hire more entertainment and, you know, just make it a bigger thing. So I think that's key because magic is a game for casual people for the most part, right? Grand Prix, uh, the tournament itself is for like the actual spikiest of spikiest people. And there's a disconnect there. So if you just car- uh, charge the casual people and make it more appealing to them, you'd get a more... I guess, representative magic event because most of us are casual. Most of us don't even play FNM, stuff like that. So these people would actually come, you know, show up, have a good time, and uh, they would contribute to, you know, the, the costs of running a Grand Prix. Yeah, I kind of like that idea as well. I think maybe, and maybe we're just like in this weird middle ground with GPs where it used to be they were more tournament focused and now they've kind of went towards the convention thing, but they're still keeping to the tournament pricing and that's kind of the focal point. Maybe we're getting to the point where GPs are a celebration of magic and a magic convention that just also happens to have a big tournament as, you know, a small part of that, really. And that's not the the main draw. Sure, you stream it on Twitch. Sure, you want people to play in it if they want to. But make it a convention. Charge everyone. Not an absurd price. Don't we don't come across like charging everyone $80 to get a GP. <laughs> like, that's not what we're saying. Good idea, Seth. Fireball. $50 for everyone to enter the Grand Prix sold. <laughs> yes, yes. Don't. I'm not trying to say that. But, uh, but yeah, I think it's fair that there's a small amount amount paid just to gain entry into the GP, if that means bringing down the cost of the GP, or being able to reinvest that money into making the GP, like you said, a better experience for the non-players. Well, hopefully something something changes. I think it would be good to see the price structure change a little bit moving forward because I think GPs are really important to Magic and I think making them important to a wider range of Magic players beyond just the spikes that want the pro points or hoping to you know spike a finish and get on the pro tour, making it appealing to more people I think would go a long way and I feel like we've come that direction and went more towards that convention thing but I think we can still go further that direction and if the cost of that is charging people a small entry fee, it's probably worth it in the long run for the GPs and for the people running GPs and for the game in general. So anyway, let's move on from the world of tournaments and the world of pricing and talk about some changes. So we had a massive brawl update. So if you're not familiar with brawl, I know most people are, some people still aren't. It's kind of the standard commander format. So we had some huge changes to the format this week, Richard. So number one, brawl was initially just the standard ban list. It was exactly whatever is legal and standard, legal and brawl. Whatever is not legal and standard isn't legal and brawl. Step one of the changes was Wizards decided to break that off, give Brawl its own ban list, going along with 
that new ban list was a bunch of bannings and unbannings. First off, Baral, Chief of Compliance, is banned. Sorcerer's Spyglass, also banned. And then we had every banned card in Standard, except for Smuggler's Copter. So Ramen Up Ruins, Felidair Guardian, Rogue Refiner, Attuned with Ether, Etherworks Marvel, all those cards, uh, Rampaging Frozen as well, all those cards unbanned in Brawl. Also a couple of smaller changes. You can play with a colorless commander now because there weren't enough colorless lands to build a colorless like Karn or Hope of Gerper Brawl deck, uh, but if you're building a colorless deck, you can now choose a basic land type of your choice. One basic land type and use any number of those basics to fill out your mana base. And then there's some weird tournament changes. I don't really care about tournament and brawl, but tournament play, 1v1 play, dropping down from 30 life to 20 life. So, Richard, a lot to kind of digest there. What are your take on the brawl changes? I dislike them. Dislike? <laughs> I, I dislike because they are still emphasizing 1v1 brawl because they haven't separated it, and they explicitly mentioned that they do not want to separate them. Uh, you know, how... How can you balance a format using the same ban list uh, for 1v1 and multiplayer? Clearly, Baral, the Baral ban, the, the Chief of Compliance ban, is targeted to 1v1. In multiplayer, he's not that good because you simply cannot counterspell three people's worth of cards with, with your commander. But he's being hit and it, it just covers both formats now. And the fact that they continue to mix these two you know, every time we talk about uh, Brawl, we have to com complain about Brawl Chief of Compliance, but that doesn't affect multiplayer. But people who uh, aren't in the know, that aren't super, you know, involved in, in this format, they, they don't know the difference. And they hear this and they hear the endless complaints about the format. They hear how it's a two-commander format, all this stuff. And then they get turned off multiplayer, multiplayer Brawl, which I think is the greatest idea ever. Uh, 1v1 Brawl, I think is the dumbest idea ever and they they should have just nixed it because uh, it will get solved it is basically standard uh you know you you can't say you want a format where you can play the cards that aren't powerful enough for standard and then put it in a 1v1 context where you will basically just play the standard cards because they're the only ones strong enough in a 1v1 setting so i i just don't know it's just very confusing what they're trying to do with the format and i don't think it's achieving their goals i think they should have just kept it strictly multiplayer uh, never made moto tournaments for it and you know not encourage stores to uh, put up prize support for it because that just encourages competitive behavior and you know tune deckless and that's not the spirit of a casual format one of the there's a couple of things that stood out to me in the announcement uh one of them was it sounded like Brawl took off a lot more than Wizards thought. It sounded like they kind of thought, oh, this will be this kind of fun fringe format. Maybe some people will play it because their article announcing these changes definitely made it sound like they were very surprised with how quickly and how much it took off just with conversations and pro players and tournaments and deck lists. And it just blew up way faster than they thought it would. So I kind of feel like maybe they hadn't thought through all of these things going into the creation of the format because I mean Brawl is a great example of that if anyone knows 1v1 commander on Magic Online uh, we went through the same exact thing like Brawl was absolutely dominant to the point that they had to ban it so it shouldn't have been that hard to kind of figure that out ahead of time if they're going to run tournaments so I thought that was interesting to know that Brawl was really catching on and that they were definitely considering making 
making products for it. They mention that as well in the article that there's been a lot of requests for pre-contacts and promos, and they're definitely hearing that. And they couldn't promise when it was happening, but it sounded like that was stuff that was going to happen. I don't know. I think it's good that the ban list is separated from standard. I think that was probably should have just been that way from the beginning, that it should have its own ban list. On the other hand, it was weird that they said, we want to keep these formats together because it's too confusing. And then at the end of the announcement, we're like, oh, but by the way, we're going to make it so you start at 20 life in 1v1, but you still start at 30 life in multiplayer. So it kind of was, that was a little bit contradictory to me. Like if you want to keep it the same because it's too confusing or complicated and you want the format to be the same for everyone, it's not really the same because of the life total thing. So I think if they're going to, continue to try to support uh, support competitive brawl and multiplayer brawl a lot of these changes were necessary like competitive brawl was basically unplayable because of brawl chief of compliance it's a little sad to see casual brawl suffering i guess so to speak by brawl getting banned i actually had a couple of people when i posted a youtube video on it say oh i'd actually just ordered the brawl deck to play uh, multiplayer in my local play group and bought all the cards for it and now it's banned and that really is frustrating to me so i don't know it's kind of a mess i think the changes are fine given the situation that we were in or necessary, but I'm still not really sure the direction that Wizards is trying to head. Do you think it's too late, Richard, for them to just pull support for the tournament focus of Brawl, or has that ship already sailed? Uh, I think they should. I think they should de-emphasize it. I think they should remove the Brawl one v one leagues, or at least rebrand it. What if you called it like duels or something? I, I don't know, right? But like, just call it something else. Because it plays very differently if you're playing 1v1 versus uh, in a group setting. Like, can you imagine playing uh, standard with four other people using actual standard decks? Uh, you know, some decks will just not be... You can't play, like, a burn deck in a multiplayer format. Like, it just doesn't work. You don't have enough cards. It's kind of the same, right? They're taking multiplayer decks and trying to shoehorn them into 1v1 or vice versa. It just doesn't work. You have to actually build different decks even if the card pool and the bandwidth is the same you still need to build different decks for example every standard deck is a modern deck would you show up to a modern event using a standard deck like no you would get annihilated like it doesn't work right so you wouldn't take a multiplayer brawl deck into a 1v1 setting and vice versa like it's, it's just not built correctly it's not accounting for the right metagame so I don't know why they're so insistent on trying to keep the same set. And they did this with um, 1v1 Commander initially. Remember that 1v1 Commander on Moto shared the same ban list with Multiplayer Commander. And it only took them like a month or two to backtrack out of that. So it's surprising that they launched Brawl with the same mentality. Even after going through the first revision, they're still keeping the ban list the same. So I, I suspect that in a month or two, they'll split the ban lists. And I also expect in a month or two, no one will care about 1v1 Brawl because like <laughs> no one cares about 1v1 Commander. And they should be spending all their time focusing on marketing multiplayer Brawl, which is what I suspect, you know, where all the hype came from. That's why everyone jumped onto this. They're like, oh, yes, Commander, but with standard cards. You know, they weren't thinking, oh, I want to play Commander Singleton or not Commander, Standard Singleton. They weren't thinking that, right? They were really thinking multiplayer Commander fun, but with standard card pool. Yeah, I think you're I think you're pretty much dead on. I think that is where the hype came from and I can't imagine that the Brawl Leagues are going to be that popular on Magic Online cuz 1v1 Commander is 
almost unplayed on Magic Online at this point. It's it's very close to a dead format. I constantly see the few people that do play it posting pictures where they literally are waiting like 40 minutes sometimes to get a match in a 1v1 Commander League. So I can see Wizards' impulse to be like, okay, we have this new format. We might as well try to like monetize it on Magic Online and get some money out of it. But I can't even imagine that they're going to make that much money off of it, especially if it does go the way of 1v1 Commander, because how much money are you really making off of 90 people playing a 1v1 Commander League. It's just not a significant amount of money, especially if making that 90 players worth of League money on Magic Online is pushing away 1,000 players who are turned off to the idea of the entire format because they see 30 of the top 32 decks in the tournament being Brawl Chief of Compliance or something. So I feel like the idea was great, but the execution could have went better. And I think Wizards needs to come come to grips with the fact that Commander is super popular, and the more things they do that are Commander-like and based around interaction, multiplayer, uh, those type of formats, the more success they're going to have. Like, obviously, the tournament scene is important, and it needs to continue to be supported, but I think with something like Brawl, it's so easy to just make it standard Commander, focus on the awesome multiplayer part of it, and probably have a huge smashing success, but instead we've had this, like, kind of muddled release and kind of a lot more complaining than we would have had if it was just, oh, this is a fun casual format. Yeah, if they had never mentioned 1v1 Brawl and launched on Moto, I think we'd be having the time of our lives playing multiplayer Brawl. But because of that, the commentary is kind of in the wrong spot, according to Wizards, right? We just see all these bands, we saw all this churn, we see, oh, Wizards R&D doesn't know what they're doing, blah, blah, blah. But if they just just had multiplayer Brawl, release it on Moto as multiplayer only, no tournaments, I think it would have been a resounding success. Uh, all right, one more topic before fish mail, and we got a product announcement this week. Well, it's a reprint product, but it is a product announcement. Commander Anthologies Volume 2, coming out the beginning of June, so we're just under a month away from launch, uh, and we got four reprinted Commander decks. So, Richard, tell us about Commander Anthologies Part 2. All right, we have four decks built from scratch, headed by Dreddy. We have Devour for Power, headed by the Mimeoplasm. We have Waiting to Battle, headed by Kaleem. And we have Breed Lethality, headed by Atraxa. All four decks for 165 MSRP. Uh, they have the new uh, Legendary Frames, and uh, they're first-time foils for a bunch of cards here. Uh, releases June 8th. Uh, so, I think this is a very solid product and a very solid choice. I think that this is definitely something that is worth picking up if you want these cards and you're a commander player and you don't have these cards all uh, already. While the MSRP is high, 165 is, that's a lot of money to put out. Every one of those decks as singles is over $100, and there's some very high-end cards, like Atraxas, $30, Urza's Incubators, like, almost $20. There's a ton of, like, 2 to $5 cards, Fiery Confluence, Legacy Staples, like, $26. So you're definitely getting your money worth. I actually went back a little bit and looked at the past Commander Anthologies, and while card prices will come down a little bit, the fact that right now it's almost $500 worth 
worth of cards you're getting for your purchase, I think that even in the long run, you're still going to be getting a pretty decent deal even after the card prices normalize and come down. So I think it was a pretty good selection and a pretty solid product. Yeah, I like all the decks except maybe Kaleem. I know it seems like a weird Boros deck to be here. Atraxa, I really like. You know, we know that this is a ridiculous uh, set commander 2017. Uh, Atraxa is crazy expensive because she's so good. Doretti, solid. Mumioplasm, solid. Uh, Kaleem, okay, but I guess it has Fiery Confluence in it. That that itself is like a $26 card. Urza's Incubator, $18 card. Thematically a bit awkward, but... I like the choices. Like you said, you get about $450 worth of value right now. Uh, it's going to go down as it releases. Uh, but it's, you know, it, it's well worth the money. Uh, I like the fact that it pulls from different generations of sets. So maybe if you uh, didn't collect all the sets, here's a chance to pick up uh, and uh, catch up on some of these cards. So overall, I like the product. Uh, they're available on eBay right now. The the one concern I had was, you know, will these just not be in stock and you'll pay way more than MSRP? The answer so far is you can get them. So uh, if you wait around, especially for an eBay coupon, one of those 15% off or one of those, uh, say, $15, you can even knock the price off lower. I think right now it's 145 on eBay. So you can go even lower than that. So it's a really good deal. And we've done the pre-constructed deck battles on commander clash before and for the most part they're all really well built and fun so this is something i'm actually looking at getting uh maybe something we can play during grand prix vegas if we can get it in time so i think it's actually a pretty good product and uh, i'm very happy with the deck choices they made yeah, it's definitely very solid decks, and I think it's a great product, too, if you are kind of new-ish to Commander, or you have a playgroup that you're trying to get started on Commander. This is... Uh, I might buy one, too, actually. I've been teaching a couple of people magic, and it's the kind of product that you can buy this and just leave the pre-con decks together, almost like a board game, and just set it on your shelf, and pull it out and have fun with it, teach people Commander, teach people a thing, or you can... So I, that's what I would like to do with it but you also have a lot of just format staples soul rings and worm coil engines and medallions and good lands so you can also go the other direction and just like add these cards into your commander collection as a way to get a lot of format staples and build other decks with as well so i think it's a uh, pretty solid i'm very uh, very happy with it excited for it and might also pick one up just because it seems like a good thing to just have sitting around for when the moment strikes and you want to play some pre-con battles mm-hmm uh, so let's move on to our fish mail. So Richard, take it away. All right. If you have questions, send them to the hashtag MDGFishMail on Twitter, uh, and we'll get to your questions on air. First question, Sebastian Tans. I'm building my first EDH deck ever. I've decided to build Oloro. He seems to be one of the most hated commanders ever, and I wonder why. Do you have any bad Oloro games that stick out, Richard or Seth? Seth. I believe Aloro has been your commander on Commander Clash before. <laughs> uh, it has. It's actually the perfect commander for me since I never cast my commander, so I still get value even when I don't cast it. So I think it's not... Aloro is very strong. I think the main thing that makes it so hated is it's a little unfair when you have 
an effect that just always does its thing, even if you never cast it. It might not sound like much, but gaining two life from the command zone, ugh, it is it is a little bit annoying. Yeah, there's no way to remove that effect aside from removing the player, which is why we killed the Alloral player. Uh, you know, it's not like a normal effect where like, okay, I'll, I'll just Oblivion ring it or something and, and make it go away. Like, is just very obnoxious, so people just get rid of him. And he's actually very strong. He's not just obnoxious. That's a very strong ability that will take a toll on the game as it goes on. So that's why uh, Aloro goes first. It's kind of like Perforos. Even if you've done nothing, everyone knows how strong it's going to be, <laughs> and they're prepared. They'll kill you. <laughs> yeah, and I will say it's fun to build around, though. Uh, turning your life gain into card draw, it is it is pretty sweet. So I would definitely still recommend building around it, but be prepared for your playgroup to probably be trying to kill you first. James Carr, 4701, for Blue Red Prowess and Modern. How many Wizards does it take to make Wizards Lightning better than Lava Spike? Um, I'm going to say... I'd have to run some numbers. If they're cheap wizards, like one-mana wizards or maybe two-mana wizards, I think the minimum you want to be looking at is eight. If you had eight one-mana wizards, your odds of having one in your opening hand are pretty good, so you can always just fire it off on turn two. So I think eight is the minimum, assuming they're one-mana, and if you're playing more expensive wizards, the number might need to go up a little bit. Yeah, I don't know that... Would you ever replace Lava Spike, though? I, I could see it being lightning bolts nine to you know nine plus, but replacing lava spike seems a bit dicey because you will have la uh, hands where you don't have wizards, and then you have this uncastable card in your hand. Yeah, that is a good point. I don't think I actually play lava spike in the prowess decks that I have built. I think. Uh, so I don't know. It's kind of a weird question for that. But no, you probably wouldn't just straight up trade Lava Spike. One of the things about the Prowess deck, unless you're... Oh man, you'd have to have a lot of wizards to actually want to replace Lava Spike, I think. Because you want to just be able to cast your spells and trigger Prowess at will. So if you have like a mixture of wizards and non-wizards, you're going to have some really clunky draws where you really need to trigger Prowess for your non-wizards and you can't cast your Wizard's Lightning. All right, Angry Poncho 2. Black-white tokens in modern. My only graveyard card is Lingering Souls. Should I play Rest in Peace or Nihil Spellbomb? Uh, Spellbomb, I would go with. I, you can get by with Rest in Peace, but I, in the token deck where Lingering Souls is the main part of it, I would probably just play Spellbomb. Yeah, you just need to learn how to time it correctly. <laughs> because uh, with Spellbomb, you actually need to crack it at the correct time. Unlike Rest in Peace, where you just set it and forget it. Uh, Jairus909, with all the tribal hype this year, I'm kind of surprised they didn't reprint Cavern of Souls. Would it be bad for the format? Is there hope for M19? Oh, man. It kills control. We know that from last time. So, if... Maybe? I don't. I think it depends on how strong Wizards thinks Control is going to be. If there was ever a set they would put it in, M19 is probably the one because it will be in Standard for the least amount of time. It'll be just over a year in Standard. So if Wizards pegged Karn and Teferi to be making Control just the best deck in Standard, maybe they justify it as a way to let other decks fight Control, but I'm leaning towards it being too strong. Yeah, I think Cavern of Souls is going to be used to sell a Masters product, as opposed to being reprinted in Standard. 
I think it, Mutavault would be something <laughs> that they would start putting in if they want to support Tribal as opposed to Cavern of Souls. Oh, man. Mutavault broke standard last time. Do you not remember how brutal that yeah, was? Yeah, but what if they made, like, fixed Mutavault? It's like a 1-1. One, one. Okay. I can see fixed Mutavault. I can see that. All right. Ran in Dark Rider. Is there any reason why Sleep isn't played in Commander more often? Seems like every time I cast it, someone else dies. Does Sleep target one person or all opponents i'm actually looking it up i thought it was one but i don't actually know yeah target player control so i mean it definitely is a good way to kill someone uh if you just tap down all their stuff and have everyone attack them it seems like it can be pretty effective so i guess i i don't know it's also kind of mean it's a good way to make an enemy if you're the one that's sleeping someone and they don't die you're probably going to be their main target so what do you think richard why doesn't this really show up does it win more? If you're losing, this does absolutely nothing for you. It's like a political tool or something. Like, you, you need other players to help you kill the player that you're about to tap out, or you need to have a dominant position, because if you're losing, this does absolutely nothing. So maybe that's why. But I, but I do agree we should probably play it more. This is a pretty sweet card. <laughs> Clinton Reed 789 I built the non-budget of your Marty Vampire list in Modern, and I was wondering if Soren Solemn Visitor had any place in the list. Uh, what would you cut for him? Oh dear, you're putting me on the spot. <laughs> I'd have to. I actually have to try to pull up uh, pull up the list to tell you what I would cut. Yes, I think that you can play a copy or two of Soren uh, in the list. Hang on. As far as uh, actually making cuts, that's going to be the more challenging part because the list. Uh, it's it's fairly tight as it is. Uh, if you wanted to cut something, maybe... Vampire Nocturnus? Uh, oh, Vampire Nocturnus is so good. That's the best <laughs> card in the entire deck. I don't think I can justify cutting Nocturnus. You might be able to get by with just like trimming like a Bloodgast and a Vampire Cutthroat or something. I don't think you can play more than one or maybe two copies of Soren, so I would just look at trimming probably a one copy of Bloodgast or one of the one drops, like a a vampire cutthroat. All right, that one Okazaki. Some say spells like Dress and Negate should always be in standard to control the format. Do you think there are any creatures that should always be in standard to help define the format? As far as actually seeing tournament play. I don't know if there's any creature I can think of that just always needs to be in standard. I think you could argue things like uh, a two-mana mana dork, but it doesn't have to be a specific one. I think there's kind of like tropes or certain archetypes of creatures that every standard format probably needs to function, but I don't think it needs to actually be a specific version of that creature. What about like a Phyrexian Revoker? Or is that too good to be all, to always be in standard? I think that having a pithing needle effect should probably always be in standard, but I don't think it necessarily has to be a creature version. I think like having sorceress spyglass is fine or actual pithing needle. I think you can have non-creature variants of it as well. All right, uh, KD Chillian, how do you feel about Dungeons and Dragons now that you've played it yourself? I'm just not good at acting. <laughs> That's. I think it's a very fun game, and I think that it's ah, it's interesting. I just could not really get comfortable with the role-playing aspect of it, so maybe I just need to play more and get used to it. So I think I like the game, but it's just so different than any game I've played before. I still don't feel 100% comfortable with the acting and role-playing, even after playing our adventure. 
Yeah, I, I I've learned that I I don't actually role play. Like even when I play video games that are RPGs, I just play them disregarding my character. I'm just like a ball <laughs> of stats and abilities. <laughs> so <laughs> it's kind of different playing Dungeons and Dragons where you're supposed to act out your character. So that's something I need to figure out. But I think it's fun. I think it's interesting, and I think it's pretty cool to see and experience kind of the basis of a lot of modern RPGs. Like, a lot of video games use kind of the Dungeons & Dragons engine in the background, like, as the basis of their games. So I think it's actually pretty cool to see how that actually works and where it all came from. Phaedos Maximus, is there a reason Carnage Tyrant isn't played in Standard, not even in Mono Green? So in mono green, it's just a little slow and expensive. I actually think it depends on the metagame. If the control decks, like the blue-white control deck, ends up being very good, I think we'll be seeing more and more Carnage Tyrants. It's starting to creep up as like a pretty reasonable sideboard card to fight against control, because that's where it really shines. The problem is, if everyone's playing red-black aggro, it's just... Uh, by the time you're casting it, even though it's very powerful, you're probably already dead. And if you're not dead, if you spend six mana to cast it, you're going to get killed by a Heart of Curin or a uh, some other flying threat, a, a Rekindling Phoenix, a Glorybringer or something. Yeah, Control isn't strong enough right now. There was a time where Carnage Tyrant was played in Standard, though. But now is not the time unless Teferi and Karn can do something about it. Uh, Heartwood, MTG, Seth, have you softened your opinion on animations in Arena since you've been playing it more? Uh, well, this podcast actually is probably going up the day after my, I just wrote an Arena article, so yes, if you read the article, it went up last night on the website, I have. I I talked about the things I like and dislike and how far the game has come, but one of my biggest positives is... I actually like the animations. I have to admit, I have to admit, I was very, very skeptical going in, but not only are they okay, I actually like them and have not had any problems with them. So if they keep the animations exactly like they are now and don't go any more over the top, I actually think they're pretty sweet. I, what sold me was the sagas, the scrolls unfurling for the sagas. When I saw that, I was like, all right, this is this is actually pretty sweet. Who are you? My favorite <laughs> animation in Arena is the Entomb. Or the embalm, where the, the card comes up and the, the mummy linens or whatever, like, wrap the card and unwrap it. I think that's the coolest. I will say, I wish that it was like Hearthstone, where you could keep making actions while the animation was going. I find myself, if you've ever played Hearthstone, you can just kind of, like, keep dragging your cards and doing things while the animations are playing. And even though the card doesn't, like play why the animation is going it like remembers it and does it so i would it would be awesome if they could make that happen so why the animation is going you can be making your land drop or whatever i would love to see that as just a small improvement but even if that never happens i've done a complete 180 on the animations yeah it kind of does that if your turn is ending uh the other turn starts while the animation is going off so for example if you tap out to cast something that has an animation uh, your turn will end and the other player will start playing as the animation goes. But if you still can do stuff, it locks you until uh, until it finishes playing for you to do additional actions. So we're halfway there. Have you played Lyra on uh, Arena yet? No, I've seen people play it, though. So Lyra, uh, since we're talking Arena, 
there's apparently some bug or something where if you attack with a first strike creature and some non-first striking creatures, it does first strike damage, and then you have to hit end of turn to go to to go to your regular combat yep. damage. And it's actually that needs to be fixed because every time I do it, I am afraid that I'm actually going to pass my turn and not be able to play stuff second main phase. It's all first strike creatures. Oh, it's so I, I see it all the time playing mono red. <laughs> yeah, so that's a very small thing. Just, like, change the text box to, like, damage or whatever you need to change it to. But every the first time I did it, I really freaked out because I thought I was going to skip my turn and lose because of it. So, oh. All right, Echo Base MTG. Uh, and also Eric Judd 11. They both have a similar question. Is Dominaria the end of affordable standard? Does Do you think Wasi takes cost impact into consideration when designing cards? Uh... Safari and Karn are nearly $40 and $60, respectively. I think we're in just, like, a perfect storm situation, really, where I talked to a lot of people on stream last week, and a reasonable number of people said their local game stores are actually sold out, or were at that point sold out, of Dominaria. So the natural, like, cards get expensive, people open more boxes to try to get the expensive cards, upping supply, prices go down. That can't necessarily take place as easily as it normally would. So I think we're just in a weird time where Wizards underprinted the first print run of Dominaria, or maybe it's just so many people love Dominaria and old players came back to the game and it was way more popular than they thought. So I think we're just seeing the remnants of that. Although, I will say with Karn, colorless four mana planeswalker that card's probably always going to be very expensive yeah i think the mistake was having a mythic planeswalker that every deck can play uh that was good because every deck will play them and then there just aren't enough copies of karn to go around so the price will start going up uh sebastian tan seth and richard what are your favorite eldrazi that aren't any of the titans um hand of emerkel what does that even do? <laughs> I like that one. I like that one for Bias of Eldrazi drafts. It is the worst Eldrazi. It's a seven mana seven or some some mana seven seven with Annihilator one. But you can sack four Eldrazi spawn tokens to cast it as a alternate cost. So I used to try to draft the make a bunch of tokens, sack them, and play the quick hand of Emrakul. Uh, you're not going to name like Thought Not Seer, <laughs> oh, <laughs> Reality no. Smasher. Uh, I think actually Void Manoeuvre is pretty cool. You can't even. Um, Desolation Twin has always had a place in my heart, but I've never found an actual use for it. The one I guess it's a 10 mana 2020 because you get two 10 10 bodies. So if you can fling oh. it or something, I don't know. But that, that card always sticks in my mind as something I need to do something with, but I never got around to it. Also, uh, It That Betrays is just super cool. The one where you can tutor for any number of Eldrazi from your sideboards for like 20 mana or something ridiculous. Mm -hmm. All right, next question. Tidal Wave 87. Uh, Seth, on the rare occasions you play Paper Magic, do you narrate what your opponent does, like in your videos? <laughs> Uh no, I try I try not to. Although sometimes it's hard not to to just slip into narration mode. <laughs> Twelve Loku is Karn already on his way to a spot on the standard ban list by being part of every single deck, <laughs> or is he, uh, or is he safe as being face of the set? I mean, we saw Emrakul get banned, and Emrakul was probably more the face of the set than 
Karn is for Dominaria, but I think it's way, way, way too early to talk about bannings. Although, if I had to pick one card uh, from Dominaria that's going to be the Emrakul or the Scarab God that we're all going to be complaining about in six months, it's probably Karn. Yeah. And I'm going to say, to answer the question, it depends if there's a scapegoat. Like, Saheeli Rai should have gone, but Fellow Deer Guardian <laughs> took the hit, so... <laughs> what, what do you ban to make... <laughs> To make Karn bad though, like what is what is the card? <laughs> uh, all cards over CMC four are now banned. Sorry. Yeah, all all artifacts, so you can't pump the constructs. <laughs> Quilted train. Do you think Belgium's recent ban of loot boxes and video games could have a ripple effect on the digital TCG model if it picks up enough steam and is adopted by other countries? So I, I guess we should fill in. So Belgium passed the law, or they are going to pass a law, I'm not sure which, stating that loot boxes are uh, illegal. So things like in Overwatch or whatever, uh, you know, where you open a, a box and there's random contents. And then for some reason, they grandfathered in Pokemon TCG. <laughs> they said, okay, that's okay. That's not abusive. Uh, I'm not sure why. <laughs> but so given that magic is currently safe, if you can make an argument for Pokemon TCG being safe, then I think magic should be safe. However, if you inspect it, it doesn't make any sense. It's the basically the same loot box principle. So I suspect that they'll eventually uh, backtrack on that and include Pokemon TCG in this, which would include magic. I think in the U.S., they've actually had, uh, back in the 90s, Pokemon, I don't know if it's ever been Magic in specific, but the model of trading card games uh, has actually went through the court system, and it's always been found okay, so I'm not super worried about paper magic. Uh, I think digital is a little scarier, especially for Arena. I think on Magic Online, you can kind of skirt some of the gambling issues because everything's out there the odds are stated and out there and maybe it'll be that way with arena eventually but not having real numbers and knowing the chances of what you're getting i think maybe makes it more loot boxy on arena than it is even on magic online or in paper magic but i I don't know i mean the whole point of this game is to prey on our gambling tendencies to crack packs right we all talk about how we love cracking packs right so (sighs) and at least in Paper Magic, you don't have to do that. Like, you can just buy singles. on, And you can do that on Magic Online as well. But Arena, that's your only method, really, of acquiring cards. So I wonder. I think Arena, to me, is the Magic product that is closest to that or most at risk of falling into something like that. Yeah, I think it's based on popularity and how easy it is. It's because in the 90s, not enough people played Magic or Pokemon TCG, so it didn't matter. But now with the age of digital, you can have it on your phone, you can sit there and crack thousands or tens of thousands of dollars worth of packs quite easily. Whereas if you're actually trying to do those Magic boxes, you gotta go to the store, they probably only have 10 boxes or whatever. Like You can't just keep going infinitely, it's much harder so I think part of it is the ease of access and, you know, how easy it is to you, for, you know, you or your child to, uh, you know, continually rip through packs in hopes of finding something. Also a question, the games that this targeted, do you know if they have real money economies? I need to keep up more on this. Like, can you... Overwatch, you can't really somehow translate that back into <laughs> into currency. So if you open something super awesome, it's not like you can sell it for $1,000 in real money or something. So some games you can. I think Counter-Strike, you can do something similar to that. 
but a lot of the games people are talking about, like there, it's just like arena. You just okay. cannot do anything with. Uh, Craig Naughton five. What is the longest Demon Lord Belzenok chain you've heard of in limited? My opponent reanimated my Demon Lord to exile six lands and drew seven cards. He decked himself. <laughs> <laughs> that's not, that sounds like either some really bad luck or a really bad limited deck. Yeah, I don't know. How I, you don't know. Could, I don't know. I don't know. You could do that. I can see it in like a set with Delve or something, <laughs> but in a normal set, like how are you going to cast all of your cards? Yeah, that's a, that's a Tomer special six drop tribal. <laughs> <laughs> all right, last question. Uh, Jay the Human, how would you feel about unbanning Rampaging Ferocidon? With white being the primary life gain color and now having the best removal sweepers in the format, shouldn't red get its dino back? Oh, this I would have been more accepting of this question before seeing 16 or 15 red black aggro decks this weekend in the tournament. I think red is just too good. I don't think it's that Ferocidon is too good. I think it's that red is too good or I don't know if it's too good right now, but it was too good and that was just a way wizards could take a a little shot at red without banning a key mythic like Hazaret or something really expensive. Yeah, I think it's actually pretty safe though. I think it was there to let token uh strategies flourish but they haven't so it doesn't matter i guess <laughs> so i guess it's like a mild annoyance to like your second sun decks or whatever uh you know you got to remove this before you cast your spells but i don't think it actually would impact the metagame too much because the decks it holds back don't even exist i guess the other argument is uh they just printed chain whirler which yep. maybe that's just would be the three drop of choice anyway maybe chain whirler is just better than Frosidon. all right that's all our fish meal for this week uh, thank you to everyone who sent them in. If you have questions, send them to the hashtag at uh, the hashtag MDGFishmail at MDGGoldfish on Twitter. Ah, uh, so I think that brings us to the end of episode 172 of the MTG Goldfish podcast. Richard, thanks like usual for hanging out. Always fun to talk some magic. Yeah, always a pleasure, Seth. And thanks to everyone for listening. So we will be back next week to talk some more magic. Until then, have a great week, and yeah, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you.